Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. So it is great to be with you today. Uh, Pastor Mike is not here. He is close to catching a plane back from Africa. So he was at HPC service this morning, but it was in Swaziland. And so he and his whole family were with a mission team there, and they have had a great time. But he's going to be back next week. Next week is Father's Day. You do not want to miss Father's Day here at Healing Place Church. We are going to have a blast. It is going to be so much fun. And Pastor Mike will be here with a great message, kicking off a series called More Than Conquerors. Talking about how to be that in our life. So you want to be here next week. Just so excited. It's going to be a great day. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2 today. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll open up. Father, we love you. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity uh, to look into your word. God, that you give us guidance on how to live our life. Lord, to be everything that you've created us to be. Lord, not only do you give us guidance through your word, God, your Holy Spirit illuminates it. And Lord, so it catches hold in our spirit so that we can live a life that pleases you. So Lord, as we open up your word today, we also open up our hearts and say, Lord, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to speak, and then God, just give us the strength and the wisdom to respond in a way that pleases you. So Lord, we love you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Come on, everyone said? Amen. Amen. Hey, so have you ever um, been walking out the door and you just get that strange feeling that something is missing, but you don't know what it is? Does anyone ever do that? Does anyone ever do that more as you get older? I find myself doing that more. I'm walking out the door and I, I mean, I'm forgetting something. Something's missing, but I'm not sure. And then does anybody do this? Like you pat yourself down. All right, kind of trying to figure it out. And then I kind of feel like my brain is playing games with me at that point. Because it gives me enough information to know that something's missing, but not enough to know what's missing. And I start playing 20 questions with myself. You know, is it a thing? Yes. Is it my keys? No. Is it my sunglasses? No. It's just a side note. Who's ever looked for their sunglasses? They were on your head. Who's ever looked for your phone? You were talking on it. I have done that. Where is my phone? Hold on. I can't find my phone. And so, you know, I just, and I've learned now when I pack, I just, as I'm packing, I I wonder what I'm going to forget today. I know I'm going to forget something. And so, you know, that's one thing when it's kind of daily life. Uh, But sometimes our life feels like that. Have you ever felt that about your life? Like something was missing, but you just weren't sure what. You just knew that it wasn't complete. And I think a lot of times, one of the most frustrating things can be when we finally get to that place where we thought we'd be complete. Maybe it was a job, maybe it was a relationship, maybe if, you know, if I made a certain amount of money, or if I got married, or if I moved into this house, we finally get to that place that we think, man, when I get here, things are going to be awesome. And then we get to that place, and we kind of find ourselves emotionally kind of doing this. Wait, something's... Something's supposed to be here. Well, in, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul tells us that that is not God's will for our life. 
God never wants us to feel like something is missing. His will is for our life to be complete. So if you have your Bibles, look in Romans chapter 12. And I want to read verse 2, but, uh, but I want to skip all the way to the end, all right? So you type A personality people, don't start at the beginning and get ahead trying to figure out what I'm going to say. Look at the last phrase, all right? He says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. And then he describes it, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul tells us that God's will for our life is good, pleasing, and perfect. So break that down a little bit. God's will for our life is good. That's a hard one to explain. When you get home this afternoon, try to define good to someone without using the word good. All right? It's like last service, I told everyone, hey, make sure tonight you go to next steps. It'll be a great next step for you. And then everybody laughed at me when I said that. All right? So good. So here's my best explanation of good. Last week, I had this bread pudding. It was warm. It was on a huge plate. It had this rum sauce, kind of a caramel rum sauce over it. Don't tell Pastor Mike about the rum sauce. All right? Over it. It was good. You know what good is? Good is hard to define, but you know it when you got it. Does that make sense? That's what God wants for our life. You ever feel like your life is good? You're not even sure why it's good, but it is. God's will for our life is like that. I believe God's will for my life is bread pudding with caramel sauce on top of it, all right? God's will for our life is good. He says God's will is good. God's will is pleasing. I believe pleasing means it's, it's satisfying. God's will satisfies us. In fact, God's will is the only thing that will satisfy us. So God's will is good, it is pleasing, it's satisfying, and then Paul says, and it's perfect. God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. Now this word is a little bit different from English to Greek because the Greek word that Paul uses doesn't mean without a flaw. So when we hear the word perfect, we kind of think, well, that means doesn't have any flaws in it. And if we're not careful, we'll be mistaken and think God's will for my life is for there to be nothing wrong. Can I tell you, that is not God's will for our life. In fact, quite the opposite. Jesus, right before he left this earth, he gathered the disciples together, and it was his one more thing. Have you ever, I kind of do this with my kids. As I'm walking out, I'll give them some instruction, do this, do this, do this, and I'll leave. And then I'll think of something really important. And you walk by, I had one more thing. And that one more thing is usually one of the most important things. Well, Jesus says one more thing is he gathered disciples together and says, I want you to know, I'm about to leave. And in this world, you will have trouble. So he told us, my will for you is not a life with no pain. It's not a life with no confusion. It's not a life with no hardship. It's not perfect in that sense. But the Greek word that Paul uses means complete, finished, lacking nothing. That's why we said sometimes life feels like it's missing something. We're not sure what. God's will for our life is for our life to feel complete. It's for our life to feel whole. It doesn't mean that it's painless, but it means that it's good, it's satisfying, and it's whole. That's what God wants for our life. And only God's will is like that. 
I'm sure there's many of us in here, and we won't take time for all of us to embarrass ourselves, that have made some really bad decisions and have brought pain into our life trying to find good, satisfying, and whole in our own way. Come on, can I get some amens on that? People are killing themselves. People are hurting themselves trying to find out in the world what only God's will can provide. So God doesn't want us to feel like something's missing. He wants us to have a life that is good, satisfying, and whole. And in Romans 12, 1 and 2, he tells us exactly how to get there. So if you have your Bibles, look at that. Now, here's what I want to do. God gives us clear direction. So we're going to drill down on a couple of these words and get real specific on what God is saying. Because what I've found is many times two people can be saying the same thing and mean something completely different. Have you ever experienced that before? This happened to me a couple years ago. I was playing kickball with my boys in the front yard. And it's about two years ago, it was me and the two younger ones against the two older ones. And so I was the pitcher or the roller, whatever you want to call it. And so my two younger boys were in the field. And I turned around to my youngest son, Joseph. He was about six at the time. And one of my sons was on first base. So I turned around and said, Joe, if he kicks it to me, you cover second base. And so I rolled it, and that's exactly what it came right back to me. I turn around. Joseph is covering second base. He is laying on second base, (laughs) arms and legs spread out. He's doing exactly what I told him to do. But we weren't communicating on the same thing. So God gives us clear direction. I'll tell you another story. I read this the other day. There was a doctor in a hospital that had a patient that had an ear infection in his right ear. So he prescribed ear drops. But he was in a hurry, so he abbreviated it. So he said, you know, ear infection in the right ear, put two eardrops, and then he abbreviated it, put two eardrops in R-E-A-R. I'll let you guess where the nurse put the eardrops, but the patient didn't get better. If you don't get that, write it out, and I'll let you figure it out for yourself. All right? So here's the thing this morning, all right? I don't want you putting the eardrops in the wrong place. So we're going to get really clear on what Paul says here. Look in Romans chapter 12. Paul says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is and what we talked about, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Paul opens up, he says this, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, the first step to experiencing God's will in our life is to realize we need God's mercy. To realize we need God's mercy. I will never experience all that God wants to do in my life if I don't appreciate what he has already done. Does that make sense? To get the future, I got to appreciate the past. And here's the deal. We've all got issues in here. I've got issues. But whatever my issues are now, God has already solved my biggest problem. And it was this. I was a sinner that was on my way to hell, and God saved me. Anything past that, if God never did another thing for me, everything else that he does is icing on the cake. I was a sinner 
rebellious, on my way to death and eternal separation from the presence of God in torment in hell, and he got me out of that. It's almost as if how could I ask for anything else except he tells us that we can. Look at what Paul says in in Romans 5. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, here's what I think is interesting here. And I tell you, I want to pay real attention to some of the words that Paul uses. Paul doesn't say in view of God's goodness. He says in view of God's mercy. Here's what I think the difference is there. If I talk about God's goodness, and look, God is good, and it's great to talk about God's goodness. But if I talk about God's goodness, it says a lot about God without saying anything about me. But if I talk about God's mercy in my life, it says a lot about God, but it also says a lot about me. Look at the words that Paul used there. They are not words that I want to attribute to myself. You see, sometimes I want to tell myself that I was a good person and God just made me better. You know, I was struggling in a few areas, started reading my Bible a little more, things got better. Struggling here, got in a small group, went to church, kind of, you know, went from a seven to a nine or whatever you want to see that. That's not the case. Look at the word Paul used. He says, when we were still powerless, when it comes to God's will in our life, we are powerless. When it comes to pleasing God in our life, we are powerless. He says, when we were still powerless, here's the one that really hurts. Christ died for the ungodly. I've never considered myself part of the ungodly. I've seen the ungodly. I avoid the ungodly. Hung out with the ungodly maybe a few times more than I should have. But I never considered myself ungodly. But that's exactly who Paul says that I am. And when I realize that I am in need of God's mercy, I realize I couldn't have done anything for myself and that everything good that I have in my life comes from him. And it is only by his mercy. See, I don't like to see myself like that. I like to think when it comes to God's will, I'm doing most of it, and he just gives me a little, you know, push over the fence. But it's not the case. In fact, it's kind of like this. I like to see myself as a major leaguer in the outfield. How many ever seen a major leaguer drop a ball? I have. And I think, how in the world, if you get paid a million dollars to play baseball, you should never drop the baseball. But we all know even major leaguers kind of make a mistake every once in a while. I kind of think that's how I am spiritually. You know, I'm, I'm pretty good and all this, but every once in a while I make a mistake. The truth is I'm not a major leaguer. I'm me in Little League Baseball out in right field. I didn't have a chance, all right? If the, I just, the best I could hope for, don't hit the ball to me, and I get a snow cone after the game. I was the worst baseball player you've ever seen in your life. I got one compliment every year I played. Good eye, Green. Like I was even going to take a swing at the ball. That's the only thing good that I ever did. And, and, And I was helpless out there. Spiritually, that's how we all are. And if we think God is just making us a better version of ourselves, we'll never find wholeness in God. We'll never find completeness. So the first thing to understand, and it's a humbling feeling, is we realize that we need God's mercy, but then we respond to it. Look at what he says. Then we respond to it by responding to God's mercy with our whole life. Paul says this, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, 
here's, I think, the key word here. Paul is not asking us to sacrifice. Paul is asking us to be a sacrifice. And that's a big difference. To see my whole life as a sacrifice in response to God's mercy for me. Because that's exactly what he did for me. And that means that sacrifice characterizes my whole life. I think being a sacrifice means this. I submit my whole life to God. Because here's the thing. I can't be complete in God if I'm not completely submitted to God. That means I'm not giving him anything to work with. I'm holding some back. In fact, I heard a guy say it this time. I thought it was brilliant. He says, God doesn't build on what he does not own. Think about that. God doesn't build on what he does not own. Come on, you clap your hands for that. Man, that hit me. Because God can only, now, he can do anything he wants, but God chooses to only work with what we give him. And sometimes we're wondering why our life is not complete because we've not given our complete life to the only one that can make it complete. And here's the thing. And and honestly, the whole reason I'm preaching on this is I read this one morning, and this is the phrase that got me. Because I thought I was doing pretty good. And then I read that, offer your body as, as a sacrifice. Be a sacrifice. And what I realized, and I hope this makes sense. I'm gonna try to explain as clear as I can. What I realized is that there is a bigger difference between giving um, most of my life to God and all of my life to God than there is between giving none and giving most. Does that make sense? There's a bigger difference between giving most of my life to God and all of my life to God than there is between giving him none and giving him most. And let me illustrate it. Here's the best way I can think of that. It's like the difference between walking from the back of the diving board to the edge of the diving board and then taking one more step. The first one is a longer distance. The second one is a bigger step. For us to experience the wholeness that God wants for our life, for us to experience God's good, pleasing, and perfect will, it's not found on the edge of the diving board. It's found with that one more step. And that's what God, let me tell you this, and it's almost as if we never get there. That's where God is continually asking us to go. Even when we think we've taken that step, he asks us to take one more. And and can I tell you this? Because I I was thinking about this this week and thinking, okay, why is it? What causes some people to take that step where some people stay on the edge? And here's what I think it is in both directions. I think it's fear. In fact, and this is a little different, but I think fear motivates most of our big decisions, all right? In this way, I think some people get to the edge of the diving board and they're afraid of what will happen if they take one more step. Some people get to the edge and they're afraid what will happen if they don't take one more step. They are so convinced that God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect that God's will is better than anything I could experience, God's will is more satisfying than anything in the world, and God's will is the only way that I can be complete and whole in Christ. They are so afraid that they will get to the end of their life 
and not experience everything that God has for them that they can't imagine not taking that step. To where some people are on the other side. They're so afraid of what might happen, they can't imagine actually giving it all to God. That's why I think most of those are are determined by fear. You know, I think about one time uh, when I was in, in college, I had the craziest jobs when I was in college because I just, I needed money and I would take anything to get money. And so I worked for a billboard company, which was hard because I'm afraid of heights. And so I, and, and so here's how they did it with the billboard company is they would put you, I don't know how they do it now, all right? But back then, basically I sat on this swing, you just kind of, and the crane lifted me up and put me on the billboard. And I walked as slowly as I possibly could. And then I'd be up on that billboard. Well, one day, the crane died, and they couldn't get us down. So it was one of those I-beam billboards, all right? In fact, I could could take you to it right now, all right? I know exactly where it was. Well, the dude that was with me, he wasn't afraid of heights, and he didn't want to stay on that billboard. He just climbed, I mean, down as fast as you can possibly imagine. He just went down, left me alone on that billboard. Now, here's the thing, and and I'm, I'm bringing this to a point. I was afraid of heights. I was afraid of falling. I was more afraid of getting made fun of while I sat on top of that billboard waiting for the truck to come pick us up. And I'll never forget, as scared as I've ever been, going over, reaching under that billboard and grabbing that I-beam and putting my hands against one side and my feet against the other and shimming all the way down. Now, here's the why. Scared to death the whole time, but more scared of what would happen if I didn't. Here's the thing. I think that's an illustration of where God brings us in our life. The only way to experience what God has for our life is when we're so convinced because we understand. The only way to be convinced is to understand God's mercy. You think if we, if we think God took us from a good person to a better person, then we're not really convinced that we need him. But when we understand, we realize that we need God's mercy, then we can't do anything else but respond to God by offering him our whole life and being a sacrifice. And so the first step is this. It's understanding that we need God's mercy. The second step is responding to God with our whole life. And here's the third one. When we recognize and respond to God's mercy, then God renews our mind. Now here's where it starts to get new. We, we realize we needed mercy in the past, In the present, we respond by offering our whole life, being a sacrifice. Now God, here's where God starts to change us. It says says this. Paul says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The way that God transforms our life is by changing the way that we think. And not just kind of our process, but by changing what we think is important, by changing what we see is valuable because what we think is the catalyst for everything else that we do. So God knows if he can change the way we think, he can change our whole life. And here's why it's important to submit our whole life to God because only when we submit our life to God can he change the way that we see the world. See, a lot of times we want to change our life by making changes to our life. And we do that because we're trying to change as little as possible. We want to keep everything else the same. It's like me when I'm trying to get in shape. And they'll say, well, here's what you do. You need to exercise. You need to do this. I'm like, great. I can do that. I enjoy working out. 
And then they get over here to the diet part. And you stop eating donuts. I'm like, wait a minute. That's ungodly. All right, you need, you need to kind of do this and, man, spinach and all this. So when I go have those things, I'm trying to think, what's the least amount that I can do to get where I want to go? We do that in a lot of areas in our life. As long as we do that spiritually, we'll never experience all that God has for our life. What we've got to do is say, Lord, Lord you have it all. And then here's what he does. He begins to change the way we think and the way we see the world because that's the catalyst for all of our change. Because here's the difference. There's a difference between change and transformation. See, sometimes we want change because we're in a crisis and we just want out of that crisis. So we want to know what's the change I need to make to get out of that crisis. When we do that, what we show is we're looking for a solution but not a savior. We just need a solution to our crisis. But God says this, I don't want to just change your life. I don't want to just make changes to your life. I want to transform your life. I want everything to be different. You know, the best illustration I can think of this is, um, and maybe all guys are this way, but I know I was when I first got married. See, marriage is a big change. But I didn't understand what a big change it was until I got married. And some of the biggest heartache we can have in our life is when we change, but we don't transform. Does that make sense? There's changes to our life. My address is different. You know, I don't have to drop her off anymore. Uh, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff, but I don't make all the transformation. So this hit me. Roxanne and I had been married less than a year. I mean, we were still in our first apartment, about three or four months. And I had just come on staff at, a, at, at the church, and then we had this deal that hit uh, we did this thing, and it exploded. God blessed it. It was amazing. But what that meant is I was gone from dark, I mean, from daylight I left, and I didn't get home until 9 or 10 o'clock every single night for about two and a half weeks in a row. And it was awesome. And I was loving it. God was doing great things, but it was also kind of tiring. So that, you know, that also meant I wasn't spending any time with Roxanne. And so finally that kind of ended, and it was the first night that I had had to do what I want. And I did what I'd always done. I sat down in my chair to watch a ball game. That's what I'd always wanted to. And I'll never forget sitting down, just feeling so amazing, and turning on the ball game, and Roxanne standing between me and the TV and saying, talk to me. That's when I realized I hadn't just changed. My life had transformed. It was completely different. And it's the same thing spiritually. Sometimes we want to keep as much the same as we can and just change a few things. And God says this, I don't want to just change you. I want to transform you. And here's the interesting thing. Because when God transforms us, what he wants to do is make us more like Jesus. And, and so there's a, the same word that Paul uses for transform in Romans is the word that Matthew uses in Matthew 17 for what he calls the transfiguration. Now this story, if you don't know it, it's towards the end of Jesus' ministry, and he takes Peter, James, and John up on a mountain, and he shows them his godness. For, a, for just a few moments, all of his humanity is stripped away, and he shows Peter, James, and John, in a sense, his full glory. He was so bright they couldn't even see, and they call it the transfiguration. It's the exact same word that Paul uses here when he talks about transformation. You see, that's what God wants to do in our life. God wants to strip away all of our sinfulness 
and all of our selfishness so that we can show the world who God is in our full glory. That's what God wants to do in our life. And here's the catch. That is God's will for our life. Sometimes we get caught up in God's will is a change of circumstances. God's will, what God is more concerned of than anything else, is to make us look more like Jesus. And so to look more like Jesus, we've got to think more like Jesus. And that's why God changes our mind. Because here's what Jesus was able to do. Jesus was able to see God's will in every situation when nobody else could. When, when everyone else just saw kind of stuff going on, Jesus was able to look through it and see God's will in that situation. You know, one of my, one of my favorite stories is the story of the, the, the woman with the issue of blood. She had a bleeding issue. If you don't know that story, Jesus is walking from one place to another. He's got something really important to do. Actually, there was somebody who was sick who he's going to pray for. So he's going somewhere really important. There's a crowd all around him, and there was a woman who just needed a healing. And so she gets through the crowd because she knew, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll get my miracle. She fights through all of that. She reaches out and grabs the hem of his garment, and here's the difference between Jesus and everyone else. Everyone else kept going. Jesus stopped. He said, wait, hold on. Somebody touch me. They're like, what are you talking about? There's people everywhere. There's commotion everywhere. What do you mean somebody touched me? He goes, no, somebody touched me, and he stopped, and he pointed her out. Nobody else saw her. Everyone else saw what they thought needed to be done. Everyone else saw the craziness that was going on. Jesus was able to see the person that needed her attention at that moment. See, God wants to change our mind. So in the middle of all the craziness in our life, in the middle of all the priorities that we feel like we have in our life, in the middle of where we think we need to go, we can stop and say, you know what? God's will for this moment is for me to spend time with this person. God's will at this moment is for me to speak to this person. You know, I think of the story of Lazarus. When Jesus showed up and they said, Lazarus is sick, and then he gets there and Mary and Martha say, Jesus, thanks for coming, but you're too late. Lazarus is dead. You see, where other people saw death, Jesus saw resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. See, God wants to change our mind so where other people see something that's fatal, other people see something that is, that is over, other people see death, we see resurrection, we see God's life. God wants to change our mind so we can think like Jesus because then that allows us to do this. When we allow God to renew our mind, we can recognize opportunities for God's will. See, a lot of times God's will is standing right in front of us. So when Paul says this, we read it before, then after you re realize our need for God's wisdom, respond by being a sacrifice, allow God to renew our mind, after all that, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Now, here's another word I want to drill down on. Because that's test and approve is one word, and it means recognize. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he's talking to the Pharisees. And they say they love God, and they say they're serving God. But they're opposing God as he's standing right in front of them. And so he tells them this story. He says, you, why is it that you're able to look into the sky, like today, and see the clouds and recognize that rain's coming. 
but you can't recognize what's going on in your own life. That's the same word that Paul uses when he says, in view of God's mercy, if you offer your bodies as living sacrifice, allow God to renew your mind, he will transform you so that you will be able to recognize, and I think that's a key word, recognize God's will. See, a lot of times we are looking for God's will because we think it is out there somewhere. It's like a spiritual treasure hunt that somewhere out there we are looking for God's will. God has painted an X, and if we can just find that X, then we'll find God's will for our life. And what Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying here is that's not the case. When God renews your mind, you recognize God's will happening all around you. In fact, I've got a picture of how frustrated God can get when it's right there and we can't see it. And he's trying to sell God's will for you is right here in front of us. Do we have that picture? That's how he feels sometimes. Why are you looking for God's will in the corner when it's in the paint? And so here's the key. And this is where it all comes together. When I'm looking for God just to make my life better, and it's not better now, then I think out there somewhere is better. And I'm waiting for God to bring me somewhere out there. I'm not going to sing it. I'm not a Disney guy. You can fill that in. And so what happens is, as I'm waiting for somewhere out there, I'm settling here and now, and I spend my life doing this, thinking one day I'll remember what I lost. And what God is saying is, when we, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice so God can renew your mind, then you will be able to recognize God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Because I understand God's will for my life is not about making me better. It's about making me like Jesus. And there are opportunities in front of me every single day to make me like Jesus. In fact, what's really scary is sometimes the situation that I'm trying to get away from is the very situation that God has placed in my life to make me more like Jesus. That, that the lack that I have in my life, that I think, God, if you would just fill this lack in my life, then I could experience your will. And he's saying, no, that lack is supposed to make you trust in me to understand that's not what you need. I am what you need. And that's how Jesus thought, and that makes you more like Jesus. That when we get impatient... Lord, I know this is for me. I know this is going to happen one day. Lord, why aren't you bringing it? One, one day, why aren't you doing that? And he's saying, no, wait, it's, it's the length of time. My will for you is not what you get at the end. My will for you is what happens when you become patient. And I'm developing you into the person that you want. Or sometimes even a situation in our life that is so hard and so difficult and you're saying, God, why can't you get me out of that? And he says, I placed you into that to show Jesus to those around you. That's my will for your life. And, and the band, the musicians could come up now. And so God renews our mind so that we can recognize it. And you know what's interesting? I, I read this uh, about a few months ago. 
that there is a scientific phenomenon. This is going to make me sound way smarter than I am, all right? I read this. I don't know about it, all right? These guys were discovering it while I was playing video games, all right? So there's a, there's a scientific phenomenon. It's called the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. I guess those are the two guys that discovered it. And what it says is this, that when you focus on something, you see it everywhere. So here's the example. About a year ago, my truck broke down, and it was gone, so I had to get a new truck. So I decided I wanted a black F-150. Once I made that decision, there were black F-150s everywhere. Has anyone else experienced that? It's like there was just an onslaught of them. Or have you ever decided, okay, now it's time to buy a new house, and you never realized all the realtor signs that were on your way to work. You passed by there every single day, but you weren't looking for it. See, what's so scary is that I spend my life so thinking about later that I miss God's will right here and now. And then when I miss God's will, what he wants to do in my life today, in the middle of my pain, in the middle of my confusion, in the middle of my lack, then what I'm really missing out on is good, pleasing, and perfect. Can I tell you, that's God's will for you this morning. This morning, not tomorrow, not later, not when that thing happens, but when we decide, I need God's mercy, I'll submit my whole life to him. Lord, change the way that I see the world. And then I can recognize opportunities in my daily life to be more like you so I can experience your will for my life. Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225 753-2273.